various trays. Adam, don't worry, really. I'm sure there's a simple explanation. Whoops! A pile of books fell crashing to the floor. Look, I'll email the sales rep straight away. Yes, 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 I know. Must go, I'm afraid. Bye now. She threw down the receiver, shuffled the fallen books into a pile, then started plucking the post-it notes off her computer screen. The phone rang again. Cade, it's Patrick. Where the hell were you? Oh, my God. How could she have forgotten? She was supposed to have been at that meeting with him and his best-selling crime author. Patrick, the publishing director, was pitching for a new contract. And the author had badly wanted reassurance about the publicity side of things. I'm so sorry, she gulped. It just slipped my mind. I've been out of the office. I know it's too late, isn't it? I'm sorry, it's Susie. Uh, No, I know, Patrick. Yes, I know, it's my fault. Yes, sorry. He slammed down the receiver, and she buried her face in her hands, his angry voice still ringing in her ears. If they didn't win a new deal with the author, he had hissed, it was all down to her. Well, it is your fault, really, said the headmistressy voice of conscience once more. You shouldn't try to fit quartz into pint pots. But I've got too much to do, and no one to help me. How can I be everywhere at once? Kate countered. You could organise yourself a bit better. Say no more often. Kate sighed. Yeah. And then they'll say I can't cope. These working mothers, their brains go, you know. She'd heard Patrick say something along these lines only last week, the bastard. His assistant had left two months after returning from maternity leave because she clearly couldn't take the pace anymore. He meant being in the office until seven every night and taking work home, Kate presumed. At moments like that, she wished she had a Harry Potter wand. Then she'd magically marry Patrick to a high-flying career girl, followed swiftly by a high-flying mortgage and the arrival of triplets who only needed three hours sleep a night. Different lots of three hours. That would fix him. Hi, Kate. It looks like you're off again, declared Annabel, her boss, Karina's secretary, materialising at her office door in a cloud of Anna's suey perfume. Karina's just rung. She's stuck on the train back from Leeds, so you'll have to go to the James Clyde lunch instead of her. Fussy, elderly James Clyde. The last person Kate could handle today. Oh, that's great. Just what I need, Kate groaned, running both hands back through her dark bob. She simply couldn't face the celebration lunch for his 18th political thriller, due to be held today in the company's private dining suite upstairs. There must be someone else who could go instead. Annabel understood immediately what was in Kate's mind, for she said hastily, There's only me and you left, and I'm busy. Someone's like... Got to answer the phones round here. Something snapped inside Kate. She rose out of her chair and leaned across the desk. Two spots of red suffused her normally pale Celtic complexion, and her green eyes blazed with dislike. At five feet five, she just had the edge on little mini-skirted Annabel. Well, you'll just have to answer mine for a change then, she snarled, and make sure you bring me up any urgent messages. Some of us have real work to do. The main course had been cleared away and dessert served. A pretty strawberry mousse, patterned with blackcurrant coolie and sponge sugar. 
the select gathering in the small but elegant dining room of Jansen and Hicks included the company chairman, Robert Goss, James Clyde, a portly, balding man in his mid-sixties, Clyde's long-suffering editor, Felicity, two sales managers, and Kate. So far, Kate had been invited to express her opinions on the following subjects. Last Saturday's Chelsea game, about which she knew nothing and cared less, the new decor in the reception area downstairs, Geoffrey Archer's latest venture. She surreptitiously looked at her watch, one thirty, and felt for the mobile in her jacket pocket. Could she get away with excusing herself to go and try Tasha again? But James Clyde chose that moment to ask Kate archly, "'And what other exciting projects are you working on at the moment, my dear?' Kate thought quickly, I'm really pleased with the way our book, The Lost Generation, is going, she told him. It's about the high life of the 1920s. There have been some great reviews already. The launch party is at the Oxo Tower, and then there'll be the TV series. But Clyde's concentration had snapped back to its usual focus, himself. That's just what I wanted to talk to you about, Robert. He addressed the chairman in his reedy voice, jabbing his spoon in the air for emphasis. I don't seem to be getting the review coverage I used to. How about leaning on that fellow at the Sunday Times book pages a bit, eh? He chunted. Kate remembered last week's conversation with the journalist in question, who was, incidentally, not a fellow at all. James Clyde? God, is he still alive? She'd said. At this, Robert Goss calmly did what he always did in awkward circumstances. He delegated. Well, Catherine, it's true we're not getting notices for James's books. What are you doing about it? Kate's hand froze on her water glass. She replayed in her mind another conversation a couple of weeks ago in which she had actually pleaded with the editor of Motoring Monthly to photograph the portly Clyde in his silver Lamborghini holding his book aloft. It was the only piece of publicity anyone had managed to get for him. As her mind spun, searching for the right way to wriggle out of this one, the cavalry arrived in the unlikely form of Annabel, who sashayed into the room without even a tap on the door. Messages for Kate, she breathed, batting her long eyelashes and brushing against the chairman. She handed Kate a sheaf of yellow post-it notes before dematerialising again. The male contingent took a moment to recover from this visitation, and Felicity tactfully moved the conversation away from reviews. Kate sat and looked over Annabel's childish handwriting, her relief at the interruption quickly evaporating. The top one ran, Susie, Borders Bookshop, upset, please ring. Oh, well, that was predictable. The next message went, your husband rang, crisis meeting work, won't get back for dinner party, sorry. Oh, no, something else she'd forgotten. She'd invited Liz and Sarah round with their husbands. Oh, hell, not with Sam sick. She'd just have to cancel yet again. The third was a message from Tasha, at last. At doctors, but Sam much better. Thank heavens for that, Kate thought, feeling the tension finally leave her body. But then she stared at the last note and felt her stomach go into freefall. Urgent. Daisy's school rang. Daisy has rash. Meningitis? Go to Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. Later, 
Kate wouldn't be able to remember exactly what happened next, though Felicity told her she'd committed the cardinal sin of interrupting one of Robert Goss's shaggy dog jokes. She just remembered arriving down in the lobby, her heart thumping, her body shaking, gazing round wildly. She shoved at the revolving doors. Why were they so slow? And found herself on the pavement. Tube or taxi? Like a madwoman, she waved frantically at every passing black cab until finally an empty one stopped. She snatched open the door and threw herself onto the back seat, then explained the crisis to the driver, who nodded sympathetically and swung the cab immediately across three lanes to make it through the right-turn filter light just in time. Kate clutched the strap for dear life as the driver dodged his way southwest through the traffic. There arose in her mind a picture of little Daisy, six years old, blonde and blue-eyed, with that funny lopsided grin that lit up her face. The idea of her ill in a hospital bed with tubes sticking out in all directions was too much after the tension of the day. After a moment, she searched with her free hand for her handbag to find a tissue to blow her nose. It was then she realised she'd left the bag in her desk drawer. This was just the final straw. How was she going to pay for the cab? She reached in her jacket pocket, pulled out her phone and brought up Simon's office number. Why are we putting ourselves through all this? Kate said wretchedly to Simon later, 10.15 that evening, in fact. Her husband had walked in through the door of their terraced house in Fulham, exhausted and starving twenty minutes ago, and was now sitting opposite Kate at the kitchen breakfast-room table, shoveling down the chicken busk she'd cobbled together last night for tonight's cancelled dinner party. Life is like one long obstacle race at the moment. Simon put down his fork and looked at Kate from under his blonde cap.